Uh, good evening. I do uh, greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome you back to church, Springs Reformed Church for evening worship. Um, we don't normally have announcements at, at night, but I do have one announcement that I wanted to mention, and that is that the call for Ed Blackwood is sitting over there, and it's got a bunch of signatures, but uh, we're going to have it available, like we said, for uh, two Lord's Days to make it available for signature, uh, make sure we catch everybody. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to sign that, please do. Uh, there's also a section at the very bottom for adherence, and uh, we did get uh, a couple of the adherents I was thinking of, uh, but there are others. So uh, if you're an adherent or a communicant member, we've got spots for you to sign on that. And um, that was the, oh, the only other thing that just as long as I'm up here, I'll just mention, because uh, Marty and I were talking about it, uh, right after worship, we will have our regular time of uh, prayer, and um, that'll be after a brief break, maybe 10 minutes or so, and then we'll come back together and uh, uh, take prayer requests and pray. So that's, uh, with that, I'll turn it over to, to Marty to lead us in worship. Thank you, Marty. Give me a second, make sure I have all of my pieces that I need here. Just want to thank everybody very much for uh, the invitation to be here and the opportunity to worship with you this morning and this evening or this afternoon, whichever it is right now. Uh, I uh, had a great day and uh, was able to visit with some of you. I would like to visit with others of you, but hopefully there will be other opportunities to do that. Uh, for call to worship tonight, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 4, three verses at the end of that chapter. One of the uh, conclusions uh, that the author of the epistle to the Hebrews has, and really these three verses wrap up the um, uh, the first, I, I view Hebrews as having three major sections, and uh, this is kind of the wrap up and the start up of the uh, the first uh, transition to the from the first section as essentially a summary of the first section and and uh, an introduction into what comes next in uh, chapters five and following. So here. Uh, these words from the word of God. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's turn in our Psalters to Psalm 22. We're going to use the E selection. And because uh, Jesus uh, went to the cross, he did the work uh, not only uh, the work of a sacrifice, uh, the once-for-all perfect sacrifice, but also is the priest who offered up that sacrifice and the offering up of himself. Uh, the result of that is the church continues until the Lord comes again to go forth and to proclaim the gospel to those who are fallen and in need of uh, Jesus Christ as a Savior, a Lord, and a King. And uh, the last part of Psalm 22 uh, speaks of the risen Christ and calls the church from generation to generation, and it includes children, so you're all included in this. And if I was here 30 years from now and you, your children are here, I would say the same thing to them. But uh, uh, be thankful that you are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you are in the families that you are in uh, and that you are the generation that your parents are training to do for your children what your parents before God are trying to do for you today as well. And so uh, evangelism of a lost world is, is a wonderful and important thing, but it also includes 
uh, our children in each generation needs to uh, put their faith and trust in Jesus and not, not leave it to, well, my parents did that, so I don't have to. That doesn't work that way, and Psalm 22 reminds us of that, this last portion. So let's stand to sing the three stanzas and remain standing for prayer. La, 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 la. Mm. All ends of earth will turn to him. The Lord they will again recall the nation's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come again to worship you at the close of this your day. We come thankful for all that you have done for us. We come thankful for the rest and refreshment that uh, we have received and been able to have this day. We are thankful for the fellowship that we've had with fellow believers. We're thankful for the conversations and prayers and intercessions one for another that have taken place as we have interacted as the fellowship of believers. And we thank you that uh, most of all you have by your spirit poured out your blessings upon us. Lord, we do pray for those who are struggling in any way uh, among our number here or uh, in families that are represented here. We pray that whatever those issues and struggles are, that you will minister to them and that Christ will be glorified uh, as you answer our prayers. We ask you now to bless all that we do this evening, to hear our prayers, to instruct us from your word, and to send us forth into a new week uh, prepared to be salt and light to a needy world. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, today's uh, Old Testament reading is from Psalm 94, and then we will be reading from Matthew chapter uh, 27 after that uh, portion of that chapter. So hear God's word in the 94th Psalm. O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. 
Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke even he who teaches man knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment again will be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take a stand for me against those who do wickedness? It goes on to answer that. It is the Lord. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have, would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them. And now, um, uh, somewhat outside, I asked if we could change the, the gospel reading tonight. So this is a uh, reading in Matthew chapter 27, verse 33 through 44, uh, that I wanted to have before you for the message this evening. Matthew 27, 33, And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him, and that would be referring to Jesus, wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now, if he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. And we will conclude our reading at that juncture. Um, we're going to sing again from Psalm 110. Well, we're going to sing again from the Psalms, uh, this time Psalm 110. I would say to our presenter, if, if there's another tune that the congregation likes better, um, I'm not uh, so attached to this selection, but if B works, we'll use B. Okay, We're going to sing from Psalm 110B. Um, 
Uh, one of the words of the night and one of the final applications I'll have is uh, from actually, uh, I think of Psalm 98 at times, but uh, the victory has been won by Jesus Christ and the 110th Psalm speaks uh, to that. So let's stand if you're able and if not, sit where you are and let's sing to the Lord. 110th Psalm. La 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 And uh, this evening's text is found again in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. This morning we looked at the baptism of Jesus Christ. This evening we are looking at the temptation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Noted this morning that Uh, In each of the three Gospels, the baptism of Jesus is immediately followed by uh, the temptation of Christ. Uh, Mark has two verses, very brief summary of the temptation, does not go into any of the details related to it. Um, Matthew and Luke have more extensive um, accounts of what went on, Uh, but... uh, at his baptism, uh, the, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in a, a powerful way, and uh, not that Jesus did not have fellowship with God the Holy Spirit throughout all eternity up to this point, but uh, that uh, is, in essence, almost, a, I, I view it as an anointing of Christ for the work that he, the God-man, came into the earth to do, and um, he, he goes forth as the one who gives the Holy Spirit without measure, and uh, the Holy Spirit uh, spends all of his time exalting the Lord Jesus Christ uh, before us and empowering us to be faithful men and women of God through Christ. There are ties between these passages, but first let's uh, read this text uh, in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 through verse 13. Hear God's word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, 
And when they had ended, he became hungry, or he was hungry. Makes sense, doesn't it, after 40 days without eating. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he, that would be the devil, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Uh, understand that I don't, underst- I don't understand all the dynamics of these things and exactly how it all worked. I do know that the devil is not like uh, the almighty triune God, omnipotent and omniscient and all those other things. But I also know from experience that he knows a lot more about me and how to deal with uh, me to lead me astray than, than uh, I would like him to. Uh, so we're not going to get into those particular things, but uh, how he did that in verse 5, uh, I, I don't know. But he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he, that is the devil, led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time, which seems to imply that he will be back. And Uh, I would suggest you that's why I read from Matthew chapter 27 uh, uh, a little earlier in our service. Well, this uh, scripture reading is of another significant event in in the life of our Lord and and because of that also in our lives. Uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, it immediately follows... Uh, the account of Jesus' baptism. Uh, Luke has in the genealogy that's in between there, uh, which is kind of an aside, but uh, then in one he gets back and says that now that the, um, the baptism is over, uh, they left the Jordan and Jesus immediately went out into the wilderness. Jesus, and uh, trying to summarize a little bit of uh, uh, the purpose of his baptism from this morning, now... Uh, in his uh, humanity, uh, certified and verified and consecrated by his heavenly Father uh, for the work that he will do while he walks on the earth, um, goes out to uh, the wilderness uh, in the design of God, led by the Holy Spirit, to uh, endure these temptations. And... uh, the events leading, uh, just moving on quickly to Roman numeral two in that lane, the events leading Jesus into w- the wilderness, there was one person involved other than Jesus, and that is the Holy Spirit. All the accounts say that it was the Spirit who, who was directing at this point. And uh, the one event I've summarized in the following way, and I'm sorry I, I, I didn't write it out for you, but uh, now that God has equipped him and he has been consecrated, uh, and appointed for the, the work that he is going to do by living a sinless life, by ministering and showing the power of God to a fallen Israel and a fallen world, um, ultimately uh, leading him to the cross where he will give his life and shed his blood to cover the sins of his people. Uh, there is a need for uh, us to have understanding that uh, God's equipping and sustaining of Christ uh, resulted in Jesus, the God-man, and again, we're, we're, I'm thinking very much of his uh, humanity and uh, some of the hard questions, but 
Uh, now, will Jesus succeed in uh, doing the work that he came to do, which is to be, from Hebrews, to be like us in all things, like us fallen people in all things, yet without sin? And so uh, the temptation of the wilderness is to uh, determine whether or not, uh, and the scriptures speak of uh, Jesus as the second Adam, uh, there are three verses in the New Testament if you uh, were wanting to uh, think about that. But uh, we have Romans chapter 5, verse 14. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 and 45 that speak to that. Uh, as it talks about uh, sin entered the world through the first Adam, um, but uh, righteousness uh, came into the world through uh, Jesus, who is the, the second Adam. Uh, so... The temptation of the wilderness is to demonstrate to us that Jesus Christ succeeded where the first Adam failed. And so uh, I'd like to look at this passage in light of those uh, particular things. Um, this is at the very foundation of covenant theology, which uh, in the, the Reformed Christian community is uh, the understanding of how the scripture is structured uh, and uh, how it all works together, the Old Testament uh, being the Old Covenant, which uh, points, as I said, through John the Baptist and all of the prophets of the Old Testament to the New Testament age and the coming of the, the seed of promise, Jesus, so that he uh, would be able to ultimately uh, do that which was necessary and that which he only could do to save us from our sins and to uh, shed his blood to cover our sins. And so we uh, find in those verses that I, I read to you, Romans 5.14 and 1 Corinthians 15.22 and 45, statements that essentially say that Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. And we understand in covenant theology that Adam was the representative for humanity as the first man, and when God said in the day, don't eat from that tree, in the day you eat, you shall surely die, it wasn't just Adam who fell, but all humanity fell with him because he was their representative. And Jesus came into the world as the second Adam to stand in the same position so that uh, his ability to uh, live a holy and sinless life in full obedience out of his love for God uh, makes the foundation and makes him worthy of being a, a surety or a guarantor of our salvation. The, if Hebrews 8 talks about that, and uh, you can look there for more questions. And so it is necessary for Jesus to undergo that which Adam underwent. And what do we understand about that? And what we'll see in a few minutes is he did. He succeeded, but he went. He underwent much more than Adam did. So let's uh, turn to the uh, text here and to the tempter and the tempted, that is the devil and the, the tempted was Jesus. The devil here is uh, by Luke uh, called uh, devil, uh, uh, diabolos, uh, diabolical comes from that is the Greek word that's used here. It's also used in Matthew, but Matthew also uses a, uh, a form of the uh, word, um, the Greek word pyrazo, uh, which is uh, the, the Greek word for to tempt. There's a baseball team in Pittsburgh that is named after that Greek word. Uh, the word pirate comes from that. And, and the idea is that uh, the tempter is one who is trying to pirate away the people of God from their God. And so uh, the devil did that successfully, did he not, in Genesis chapter 3? And uh, we, we, I think we all, even the children, are familiar with that account, that in chapter 2 of Genesis, God said to, to Adam and, and to Eve, but uh, Adam was primarily in the focus there, in the day that you eat, uh, of the fruit that you've been told not to eat. Uh, and what tree was it that they weren't supposed to eat from? Anybody under the age of 12? That Yes. 
you got it, gold star, um, that if they uh, ate from that, that they would surely die, and we know it happened. They did eat from it, and uh, at that point, all mankind fell uh, into sin, and uh, God pronounces the judgments upon uh, the serpent, and uh, who was uh, the diabolical one in the garden. Uh, we know it was Satan that was there. Uh, he pronounces uh, curses upon the man and upon the woman, and we're still living in a world that those things are still going on. But in the midst of that, God has provided a way to escape from uh, the death that comes from sin, and that is through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is the tempter, uh, the Perazzo, the pirate, uh, and that is actually, he's used and called that by name in, in the Matthew's account in chapter 4, verse 3. Um, and what do we know about him? Uh, I think one of the best summaries of who the devil is is given by the Lord himself in John chapter 8, verse 44, where he calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. And I'm going to tell you something. When we read this account tonight, while there were kernels of truth in some of the things that Satan said, uh, most of what he said, not, I, I don't know, I haven't counted exactly how many things he said, but um, were lies. Uh, the idea, I, I have control of all of this, the kingdoms of this world, and uh, that's been given to me, to which I would say probably, I would say baloney. Now, the, the fallen kingdoms of the world are under the is baloney an okay Christian thing to say in a sermon? I don't know. Um, um, okay. You know what I mean. Uh, but uh, don't believe anything uh, that the devil says. He, Jesus says, is a liar and the father of lies. And he uh, uh, sometimes does disguise himself as an angel of light. Uh, Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, and so one of the things we see... How many temptations did we read about? Three? Okay. How many times does Jesus quote scripture? Three times. How many times does the devil, the tempter, Satan, quote scripture? One time. Um, I, I, again, I, and, and I, I hate, when I, when I stop and, hesitate it's because i'm going to say something that i might regret later on um that you might say well why did he even bring that up but if you look at the matthew and the luke accounts the second and third temptations are switched uh, uh they're the same but they're switched and uh, in 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 matthews uh, it is you shall worship the god um you shall worship god alone and, and then Jesus says, go, uh, and, and the devil leaves him. And here, that is in the, the second temptation. The third one here is uh, related to um, putting your, you shall not put, Jesus says, the Lord your God to the test. Um, there the devil quotes scripture, a true scripture, that the angels of God uh, will uh, bear you up and uh, they don't even want you to be able to don't even want you to stub your toe on a stone uh, I know all about doing that I seem to be doing that more and more with each coming year and that's true uh, but the devil's using that and he is he's really misapplying that he's using that to try to lead Jesus to turn his allegiance from his heavenly father to the evil one, and Jesus simply uh, says, not going there, and uh, we are not to put the God to the test, which is what you're asking me to do. So we have the devil then, uh, this uh, sometimes an angel of light, he, he uses the scripture, but he misuses, it's probably better to say that he always has some agenda which leads to any scripture that he might quote to be misused uh, and misapplied. Uh, I would say that the devil is consistent in Genesis chapter 3. Um, 
verse 1, when the evil one comes up to Eve in the serpent, um, he says, has God said, and uh, that is a refrain that the devil uh, uses at different times throughout the scripture. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 3 here, uh, there's another one that is used. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Um, the what's the implication of that? If you are the son of God, of course, you're not. Although the devil did, I, I think ultimately uh, he was lying at that point. He understood these things, but puts a challenge before uh, the Lord, and uh, he does that again uh, through the people that were standing at the foot of the cross in Matthew 27. If you are the Son of God, come down. Uh, I, I, I just mentioned that because of that opportune time in verse 13 that um, Jesus uh, was very much at, at a very weak point in his human life at this point of the temptations, was he not? Uh, not having eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, and on the cross, he was in another very weakened position, um, hanging on the, on, on the cross, and yet, even in those uh, times. And, and the third one I would mention uh, in that as well is in Gethsemane, uh, when Jesus uh, said, if there's any other way for uh, my people to be saved than this, may this cup pass from me. Uh, but he then, um, he knew that there wasn't, and yet in his humanity he was agonizing over these things. And, and But then he concluded in a way that I don't know if I would have concluded uh, at that particular point, but not my will, but thy will be done. And so the devil is consistent throughout the scripture. Uh, if you are the son of God, if you are the Son of God. He is always consistent with who he is. And any power and authority that he has, that he boasts about in verse 6, is false. The earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. And so we have the, the tempter and we have Jesus, the tempted. We have the interchanges. We have Jesus... Uh, responding to every temptation with the word of God. And what should that application for us be? No matter what temptations the devil brings before you, the word of God provides an answer for you to deal with that. In 1 Corinthians 10, there's a verse there that tells us that any temptations that we undergo, any times uh, the evil one tries to pirate us away from our uh, faith and trust in, in Almighty God, uh, there's always a, a course that we can take where we can resist that, we can say no, but unlike Jesus, none of us ever say no perfectly, and, and we do succumb to sin, uh, and we're thankful then that Jesus has saved us from it. So, going on to the fourth uh, point on the outline, tempted as we yet without sin. Uh, I already did a little bit of this, but I just I should take a minute, and maybe you have things you can add to this. Compare Jesus' temptations here in this chapter with our, the kinds of temptations we undergo. Do you see any similarities? Um, what I suggested is uh, it really, uh, all of them come down in one way or another to the same kinds of things that tempt us, our, our appetites uh, of whatever they may be. Uh, uh, I think of Second uh, Timothy um, where Paul describes that in the last days this is what it's going to look like. And, and since I became a Christian until today, I read that passage and say nothing's changed. In fact, it may have got worse. And, and to summarize uh, that and just taking a few things out of that list, uh, uh, men are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, and essentially lovers of anything other than lovers of God. That that 
is what characterizes the fallen world in which we live. And uh, the temptations that Jesus encountered uh, were probably more uh, on a level, uh, certainly the idea of having all the kingdoms of the earth and everything uh, were at a very high uh, level that all the, uh, the things that greed might get for him um, much higher and, and much more tempting, I think, than what we normally encounter. But uh, we are like him uh, in terms of temptation. We we see these things as well. So, um, so secondly, uh, look at the magnitude of these temptations. If we say Jesus is the second Adam. How does it stack? How do the temptations of the first Adam stack up with the way in which the second Adam was tempted? What was Adam's temptation? How many? One temptation. Summarize: Don't eat that fruit from that tree. How was uh, Adam's frame of mind? Was he healthy? Absolutely. Was he well fed? Yes. He had all of the goodness of the Garden of Eden to, to eat from and to enjoy along with his wife Eve. And he couldn't even do that one thing. And so not only did Jesus demonstrate that uh, he succeeded, but he succeeded far more abundantly than uh, even the expectations that I would have had of him. He he resisted not only the three, but it's it's an interesting, and I don't know what you think about it, but in that 13th verse, when the devil had finished every temptation, what does that communicate to you? I know we have these three, but I've, I've wondered, was there more to that than, than the scriptures have related for us? I, I, I don't know, but uh, the implication is many temptations uh, before he left him, um, for another time. I'm just trying to decide. Uh, I wrote a note here on my outline. I, I don't write everything out, and I'm trying to remember what I meant by it. Uh, the other thing that we might note is that for that, the temptations of Jesus, because he was Jesus, the God-man, he had truly every uh, ability and opportunity to handle the situation uh, there and to do even what the devil said, you know, just throw yourself down. He could have done that, and the angels of God would have protected him. The, the Psalms talk to us about that. And uh, Paul talks about in Philippians the idea, though, that Jesus laid aside what he could have done because that was the only way that he would be able to do what he needed to do for us uh, as, and his identification with us as a human being. He was tempted in all things as we, yet without sin. There's mysteries to that statement, but it's true. That's the one thing I wanted to reiterate from, from this morning that I, I maybe didn't say strongly enough, that uh, the temptations were real. Jesus struggled with them, and Jesus resisted them and did what was right and uh, persevered. And uh, any other questions that would try to take away from that uh, are not what the scriptures are teaching us to do. And so We have these three temptations, turn the stone into bread, worship me, trust in God, or throw yourself down and put your trust in the devil, not in God, but Jesus resists them all. And the last point that I wanted to bring to us is uh, some applications uh, of this particular passage to us, and I have a uh, I have five of them, if you wanted to write any of these down. Um, I said earlier in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, uh, Paul reminds us that uh, we are 
not uh, tempted. That is the point that I, I, I remember it now. Can I back up for a second? Just, um, there, there's another word, and in, in the scripture uses these elsewhere. James talks about this, and, and they're in First John as well. But um, there's the word testing and the word tempting. They're different words. These, the word tempting here, that word pyrazo, is there, there is a, an evil aim in that, that we're trying to lead people astray from the word of God and from the person of God. Uh, the, the other word for testing is actually the word dokimazo, and uh, that word is not actually used in, in these passages, but uh, I'm, I'm going to use this as uh, our first point of application here. Um, temptation and testing are different. The Lord does test us. The Lord does, and that word dokimazo is a uh, refiner of precious metals term. It means to put something to the fire in a crucible in order to uh, boil it up to the point that you melt the metal and then the dross or the impurities in it all float up to the top and they're, and they're removed from the metal. And so the, the more you do that, the more you uh, dokimazo metal, the purer it will become. And uh, the reason I bring that meaning of it up is because that's why God tests you. He never tempts you, the scriptures say. Satan tempts you. God doesn't, but God does test all of his children. He does purify us. And sometimes those tests, you know, I mean, if you're boiling metals to hundreds of degrees, whether you're Fahrenheit or Celsius, or I, I grew up calling it centigrade, um, sometimes that is a painful process. And sometimes God puts us through things like that. Um, and we need to understand that if you love the Lord, that he has things that he's teaching us, and he's uh, one of the main things is to put our trust uh, fully and holy, uh, holy, H-O-W-H-O-L-L-Y, uh, upon him. And so uh, I never like to talk about pirates without talking about refiners uh, of precious metals. Secondly, the scriptures are clear. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James says that in chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, we really have that in verse 13 here as well, that the devil did everything he could to trip up our Savior. And he finally reached a point where um, there was nothing else he could do. Also, as Matthew's account says, Jesus told him, go away. And, and he did. Thirdly, Never forget that your salvation rests on the second Adam and that the reason we have this temptation in the wilderness is to remind us who it is that we put our faith and trust in. He was put to test far beyond what anything that we could endure and he succeeded. He said no to the temptations of the evil one and he honored and obeyed his heavenly father in every word that came from the mouth of his heavenly father in scripture. Fourthly, uh, uh, back hopping on the, that last application, uh, just understand, especially as you struggle in a fallen world, the importance of being in the word of God. Even the savior, uh, when in these times of needs and his uh, human life here on earth that when confronted with the temptation he looked to the word of his heavenly father and found what he needed to help in that situation as the writer of Hebrews said in our call to worship this evening um, fifthly you can resist temptation I've, I've said that three times now Jesus was tempted three times. Uh, we are tempted many more than that, but uh, you can resist. You can say no. You can say no. You can say no. Got it? 
Now we need to go out and we need to live it. Finally, uh, as we have sung in, in our psalm this evening, the victory has already been won by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We live in that New Testament age when we look back and we see that the promises of God made in Old Testament times uh, about the coming of Christ have taken place and now we live uh, in this present life until the Lord comes again uh, understanding that the victory is won but now he has called us clay vessels uh, beset by sin strugglers with temptations and all those other things it is us that he has called to go forth to win the nations for him to proclaim the gospel and to be faithful and we live in a tough world and sometimes we probably wonder, do I even want to get up and go to work today with some of the stuff that's going on in the world around us? And yet, uh, the Lord's word is clear. Go and make disciples of the nations. Bringing them into the church, baptizing them, doing that by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, acquainting them with the very word of God, teaching them all that I have commanded you, putting our trust and our confidence in the Lord who has said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. So he'll be with you this week. I guarantee it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word of truth. Lord Jesus, thank you for enduring all of the temptations that the evil one put upon you directly but also through the nations who oppose you and through even your own people who reject you throughout history we pray that we will stand firm in our faith and that we will in our times of need and in our times of temptation that we will look to you and to your word and find the help that you have promised to give us so bless us keep us use us we pray in jesus name amen And we're going to conclude, conclude with Psalm 23. We'll use uh, selection B. Just a reminder that uh, our Lord is a good shepherd. He takes care of his sheep. He protects us. He sustains us. And he will be faithful to do that all the days of our life until he calls us home. So let's stand to sing Psalm 23, selection B. And then after that, we will have a a brief break right before the pro time do i have that right yes. okay yep.
now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip us in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're dismissed for about 10 minutes. And just as a reminder, um, if you haven't signed the call, now would be a good opportunity. We'd like all members to sign that.